Welcome back to another episode of Success is a System. I'm here with Ian Forsyth and Shane Forsyth today of PKB Trade. These guys have been in the kitchen, bathroom and individual bespoke unit business for decades. What I want to talk about today, I want to understand a little bit more about the motivation to get into the business, but I want to talk about intergenerational transition. There are hundreds of thousands of businesses in the UK where the whole family are involved in different ways, whether that's brothers, sisters, mothers, daughters, fathers, sons. And there comes a time when one generation might decide to step back a little bit and the other generation steps up. And I want to talk about the dynamics of that, the challenges uh, and the upsides of, of doing that. So bear with us. We're going to get into that and all that that encompasses. I never saw myself taking over the business because, to be honest, I never thought that he would step back from the business and I was fine with that. And in 85, I realised that as a manager, I was going to have to wait for one of four people to die to be able to move to the next position. Did it, was it just smooth sailing all the way through um, those years? Or did you have points where you think, what the hell have I done? I think you have to have the commitment to give the person the tools that they require to be the success that they want to be. Because I knew how hard they worked and I wanted to support them. But on the other side of that, I didn't want to not interfere, but I didn't want to just be part of the business to be part of the business. Yeah. Going back, would you have changed anything about the way that it transitioned and you're growing up in the business? You look at where you are today and go, well, are you happy with where you are? Yes. So but I don't think there's anything I would change from my point of view. Thanks for joining us and, and uh, agreeing to come on. I say joining us, I'm in your office. So <laughs> we've got the whole factory going on down there, kitchens being built as we speak. So, Ian, Fozzy, as your name, yeah. where did it all start? What made you get where into this line begin? of business? Where did it all begin? 1985, I was a manager of a carpet shop. I'd worked uh, a couple of years before for Andrew Killingsworth locally in, in, in uh, Peterborough on his market stalls and uh, went into carpets. And uh, I spent a couple of years there, and in 85 I realised that as a manager I was going to have to wait for one of four people to die to be able to move to the next position. And Lord Harris, as he was, was a fantastic, run a fantastic business, but there was a lack of opportunity. <coughs> so I went one evening, um, Alison, Shane's mum, and I, we went to attend an event her company were doing, and I got offered a job selling kitchens, self-employed. and. Uh, Huge risk, but I had confidence. Shane was one year old, yeah. and um, if we were going to do better or do better things in life, we needed to get out there and go where the money was. So I, I followed the opportunity. And with Shane one, how did Alison feel about you taking a new career opportunity at that point when the kids are little and you know you don't know where the income? She's then tired that she can work, but not as hard or not as much because. Got, got a one year old. How did that dynamic work at the time? She gave her hundred percent back in. Um, and, and obviously, the, the one thing about life is if you've got a fallback position, the chances are you may fail. But if there's no fallback position, you'll do everything you need to do to succeed. And, yeah. and that was the difference. Well, and that's still, knowing Ali, that's still true today, that she's fully behind it, still involved in the business in, uh, in lots of ways every single day. So uh, still that same commitment. Yeah, hugely. Alison's a director and has been all the way through. And it was Alison and I who started it, and, and, and Shane and I who latterly have fronted it. Um, so what did it look recently. like when you started it? Was, did, was you buying kitchens from other people, fitting them? Was you what? Tell, tell us about those first ideas and how you were feeling about it. Were you scared? Were you nervous? Yeah, it was a direct sales organisation. Um, so we used to generate customers, buy kitchens to order, uh, deliver and, and, and install them. Um, and that grew 
Um, as TPS, Telephone Preference Service, came in, we were unable to contact people directly, so we built a showroom network. So the network of showrooms then allowed us to contact customers and allowed us to sell more. And it, it was all the time the confidence to go to the next step and go to the next level, which is only really governed by the quality of people that you get around about you. And, and having seen some of the showrooms that you had, um, that's no small commitment because you're putting kitchens in there, you've got to staff them, you've got to pay rent rates, electric, all of those things. So every showroom has, has a cost. There's a fixed cost that you can't really then say, oh, we're not doing so much this week, at least we've not got as much cost. The costs are there, they're fixed. Uh, and you've got to then do enough business to keep that coming in. Yeah, and, and during the direct sales years, what I would call 70s, 80s, 90s, there became a kind of an air of irrespectability. Um, to the direct sales and people would prefer to go to a bricks and mortar site uh, and so that's where the conscious decision came from that it would give us a different profile of customer with a higher average order value yeah. uh, and, and, and that's what we followed and, and where would you, on that where would you have been in the price you know I was in retail grocery and that and we'd talk about the, the discounters the value the median and the premium uh, and at the time you'd have had MFI and uh, it was a big kitchen company at the time where would you be on that pricing? Um, so so any, any market is a pyramid. And of course, if you go to the premium, then you're in a smaller section of the pyramid. So we always stayed in the middle section. So probably from three to seven and a half, but we had a far bigger slice of the cake that we could operate within. Yeah, yeah. so I guess if people wanted it, you could go up, you could go down from that middle position. Of course. Great, so did it, was it just smooth sailing all the way through um, those years? Or did you have points where you think, what the hell have I done? It, it might not work, you know, I've, I've now got um, commitments and, uh, uh, and staff that are booking holidays, buying houses based on your salaries. I, th I think that what you would look at is, is the, the opportunity that I had to watch Shane grow in the business, smoothed out those bumps in the road because he showed an interest and, and, and came into work and enjoyed a pound note, enjoyed earning money. That kind of was a refreshing challenge because you never knew loyalty, Mike, as you, as you will know. You can give it 100%, but you don't always receive it. But when it's family, it's yeah. completely different. So Yeah, and that's the sort of crux and a nice seg of what we want to get to and a nice segue through to Shane. So, you know, business started when you were one. Um, what was it like having a dad who had his own business? I mean, there's upsides, there's downsides. As a kid, were you aware that you're, you, you perhaps had a different... Um, working week uh, and family week to what some people who might have just in nine to five or or had, uh, uh, had kind of easy jobs where it weren't evening selling it wasn't weekends it wasn't yeah definitely I think when I was one I think there was a period of time where you were covering from Peterborough to Scotland and I probably didn't see you for a week at a time yeah I missed Shane's first out of school yeah so I think latterly I was probably seven or eight when the um, you opened the first showroom and I remember being there um, when that was done and I remember all of the hard work that went into opening the first showroom and everything so yeah I could definitely feel there was a difference of the amount of effort that both my mum and dad put into opening it and continuing to run it in those early days yeah so I mean one of the things you said there you missed his first day at school uh, and I was a bit the same with my two girls and, and I used to say I will do today what others will not so I can have tomorrow what others can not kind of thing it's not easy though is it you know, no, it, it how does you weigh that up sometimes well, I, th I, th I think probably technology uh, didn't send me a picture straight away 
and I got the picture at the weekend when I got home. So it, it, I didn't feel as guilty, but we kind of look at those days and you think this is the commitment you have to have. And you always think about somebody who's worse off than you, somebody who may have been on a military tour in somewhere where they're having bullets fired at them, who may not come home. You know, yeah. I was coming home that weekend, so it wasn't as bad. It was only a few sleeps kind of thing. Exactly. And, and uh, so seven, eight, first showroom. What age were you in and around and about the business? Seven or eight. Seven or eight. <laughs> no, I do. I do remember um, even before. I would have probably been around eight. I remember deliveries coming to our house in the mornings and helping unload and doing little bits and always kind of being involved in what was going on in the business. I used to finish school and go to the office. I'd spend the the evening in the office with my mum or what. So I was always. I wasn't working, but I was always involved in the business. So you see very, and hear and yeah. absorb that yeah. kind of work ethic and so on. Yeah. And I, I think people talk about that growing up in a family where you get a strong work ethic. Were you conscious that it was harder working than maybe your mates or your mates' families or parents? I think at eight years old, it, I didn't pay any attention to it. I just thought it was a normal thing. Like I'd yeah. see my mum and dad working constantly. We'd talk around the dinner table about things that had happened at work during that day and it was just a natural, I didn't know any different. Um, and as the years kind of went on, all of my mates were out in the summer holidays playing football, doing what they wanted to do and I was working in the warehouse. I probably started to realise around then that it was a little yeah. bit different. Would you change it? Uh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. I, I, you do kind of, when your mates are going out to play football and you go, no, I'm unloading lorries in the warehouse today. At that point, you kind of think, I wish I was playing football. But looking back, I wouldn't change a thing. No. And, and, you know, I, I, um, I remember sitting with a psychotherapist once and just chatting. And uh, out of the blue, she said to me, when he, and this was only a few years ago, when are you going to allow yourself to be that little boy that you never was? And it was like, like a big blow kind of thing. And I think, what do you mean? And she said, well, clearly you've, you've never just been a muck around kind of kid and just like no responsibilities and you feel like you take the world on your shoulders. And, and for a little while that did affect me. But then I thought, yeah, sometimes we take on too much responsibility too soon. But I can play and have been able to play in a different way in recent decades than other people who perhaps were little kids that had, were carefree and did nothing back then yeah. can't do now because they're working much harder when their bodies aren't so capable. But do you look back and think, if it was again, I might change this thing, I might change that thing? What what, 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 what does the, the past and growing up look feel like to you as a good, bad, ugly kind of bits. I don't think I would change anything. I think that I probably, from the age of 13 to 17, didn't think I would ever get involved in the family business. I always kind of thought I was going to do something completely different. Um, I went for my work experience to be an accountant. Um, and that completely changed my mind. That's what you I wanted to, you never wanted to be an accountant. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, stayed on... Um, for uh, sixth form at school, was studying sports science, didn't enjoy it, didn't really enjoy school, um, and it was a case of, well, what am I going to do? And then I think it was my dad said, well, your mum needs some help um, looking after the IT side, why don't you come in and do that a bit for a bit? And that, that was kind of me entrenched in the business and from that day. Why do you think it was you didn't automatically assume you'd come into the business? Was there anything about it at the time where you thought, I don't want that, or were you just 
it wasn't talked about and you, you thought you'd do other stuff? I think, yeah, I think I always kind of thought that I was going to create my own kind of path, like my mum and dad do this. But one of the main reasons why I wanted to be involved was because I knew how hard they worked and I wanted to support them. But on the other side of that, I didn't want to not interfere but I didn't want to just be part of the business to be part of the business yeah. if I was going to be there I wanted to do something on my own so that made quite a big difference and, and that's sort of moving into this intergenerational transition bit I wanted to understand because there's lots of business I work with now and I'm helping some through the same position uh, perhaps earlier on where they're just transitioning from one generation to the other taking the day-to-day reins if you like but Let's roll forward a bit from where you were then. You, you're now in the business. At what age were you full-time in the business? Mm, 18, 19? No, 17. 17. And so suddenly it's not dad and son anymore. It's it's boss, employee. How, how, how was that dynamic? Well, I, I think if you if you went back to the 12, when he was 12 working in the summer, he was paid. So Shane, right. Shane enjoyed the benefit of the money that was there. And that encouraged him to keep coming back instead of going to play that football. And he was playing football at weekends because he played in local teams. But what, what happened when he was 17 was the education wasn't full-time. And because the education wasn't full-time, he found it very boring. And, and that's when he came to join us. And, and that, the reason that, that he decided that was he had an opportunity to join us, but he wasn't being forced or wasn't being pushed to join yeah. us. And, and that's something that I've mirrored all the way through, and I'm sure Shane will see so, that. So you and Ali weren't like some parents where there's just this assumption that he's coming in, wasn't part of the plan, and just... Yeah. yeah. We went out and bought um, a, a tennis and fitness club because it came to us. We didn't go out looking for it, but it came to us as a good deal. Shane was doing uh, sports science. We thought that that would work very nicely. He can go down there to, to, to um, Hunt Stanton or Heacham. Sedgeford as it was, go there, operate in there, learn and understand from the staff there. We bought it as yeah. a lovely weekend retreat for us to go down there as well. So we were willing to back him in what he, he chose to do. Yeah, and that paying kids at a young age, if they do the work, you know, it's it's work, earn, work, earn, um, is really important. And I, I talk to a lot of people now who say, well, you can't send a, a 12, 13, 14-year-old out to do a paper round because there's, there's so many scary people out in the world, which... I don't think they're any different to what they were, but the belief because of media is that it's worse. So people aren't sending them out. Or even when you see kids doing paper rounds, sometimes the parents are driving them from house to house kind of thing. It's this ludicrous situation. But one of the things Charlie Mullins talks about is when you get your first couple of quid and you put the work in, you call it my money. I can yeah. do what I like. Just blow it all on sweets if I want. Yeah. Or I can save a bit. You know, what was that feeling? Do you remember that feeling? That, that, that was that was 100% the reason why I went to work and didn't go and play football because I wanted my own money. I wanted to be able to buy my own stuff. And during a half term or a six weeks holiday, rather than being out there spending money, I, I was earning money. So yeah. that was fantastic. And were you a spender or a saver? Uh, what did you do with it? I spent it. <laughs> still, still do the same thing now well, but it's good because the country needs to spend money you can't, you can't keep the bloody money you can't keep it feeding 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 but so then you're working in the business and inevitably as a bright kid working in the business you start thinking I might do that a bit differently I might manage those people a bit differently did you like see eye to eye mostly or did you clash a bit what, what was it like from both sides when um, when Shane was 21 uh, he was made a director of the business and uh, he'd excelled in marketing. Uh, three years later, he came in and told me that the sales director was useless and that he could okay. do both jobs better. So that was kind of a pivotal moment. Wasn't it? How long had the sales director been there? 
No, only a couple of years, I think. Um, I thought you might have said too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the thing is, is that um, we'd had a longer term um, sales director that had been within the business. I was doing marketing for a couple of years, so um, that was going well. But I, the relationship and the way that the sales was heading just wasn't the way that I thought it should go. Um, and that was showing in the sales conversion. And that's when I kind of put my hat in the ring and said, I think I can do a better job than this um, and got given the opportunity to do it and it was very successful. And so were you able to see that differently to Foz at the time because they treated you more like one of them or did they treat you differently? What was it like the dynamic of a kid coming into father's, well founding, the father who founded the business, you come in, you bring your own angle but how did the team treat you in that position? because I don't know anybody else's experience, it's a hard one to comment on, but I just always felt like one of the team. I don't I don't feel that anyone kind of went, well, he's the owner's son or whatever that kind of dynamic would right. be like. Um, when I first started in IT, it was a case of, there's an issue, I solved the issue, they were happy, they carried on doing what they needed to do. And that's kind of the same ethos as I've tried to do all the way through the business just kind of get rid of the negatives and keep the positives going. Yeah, um, yeah. And for that, I think I was just, I, I wasn't just sat there not doing any work, getting paid a wage. I was always involved in the business on a, day, a daily basis. So how long have you worked in the business now? I don't know. 23 years. And did, did you evolve to get your own parts of the business? How did, you know, if, let's say we went back 10 years before you sort of step back a little bit, 15 years maybe, how did your role evolve in the business? And did you split well, it I up? Think, I, think, I think there's always, what, what happened, uh, and, and by the way, this is 2008, so the world's crashing around about us and Shane's yeah. just got the position of sales department. So it was always gonna be a tough journey. Um, and I felt that with my support and Shane there, we became partners at that time. Uh, and obviously mum's been a partner all the way through, Alison. So we, we became a three and, and th the conversations changed and things changed uh, and, and Shane took a far more broad approach of the understanding of the whole of the business. Um, having been a director, he's obviously been in board meetings and things like that, but that um, we were a sales and marketing business. Yeah. It just happened that the product was kitchens. So so that's very much what, what we grew. So it just grew separately. And was there a point at which you, just assumed or looked at the way Shane was and thought he's going to run this one day or did was it obvious from an early point? I, I went the other way didn't I? I? I used to talk to Shane about leaving. I used to talk to Shane about whether he wanted to stay because I knew he always had the ambition to do his own thing. Um, so a regular periodic timetable we would sit down generally around Christmas time because you're a bit more relaxed and everything time of the um, year to think and, about next year and, yeah. and we and, and we would discuss it and um, there was a time where I thought he, he may go he was we were bringing in a new computer um, CRM system and uh, the company that we were working with wanted to steal him because he was coming up with some great ideas for them to extend their software yeah. to make it more usable in the industry I became aware of it, but I didn't say, you can't go, I really need you. We sat down, we discussed it, and would it be a good idea for you, and where is it geographically, and what do you want to do longer term? So it was never a dictatorship. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. No. So, and, and, and the reason <laughs> I, like I sent you the speech on the speech <laughs> from my birthday was that you know he kind of succinctly said how I'd done and what I'd done in his life in in different ways. You know, yeah. it was mentor, it was father, it was boss, it was it was everything in there, and that, and that's the way that I've tried to do it. So, in those conversations about look, are you happy, son? Do you want to do you want to do your own thing? Did you ever consider going elsewhere or? Did you no. see yourself as taking over this and doing your own thing? No, I never saw myself taking over the business because, to be honest, I never thought that he would step back from the business and I was fine with that. Um, it, and like he said earlier on, it was more of a partnership that we developed where I, I'm ambitious and want to continue to grow and I had a great foundation to be able to work on with that. We introduced bathrooms back into the business at a period of time, which again was very successful. There was lots of things that it was never a case of I wanted to do it. It was definitely happening. But at the same time, I was never kind of told, no, you're not doing that. So I had no reason to leave the business. And I think the reason we stayed fresh for so long was we had a blended age. So whilst I was getting older, Shane was coming through and keeping me fresh, challenging me. uh, And and I, I, I enjoyed that. And did did you ever switch off from the business when you were at home, or because a lot of people say when do you switch off, and I'm thinking if you're loving what you do, why would you yeah, switch well, off? Yeah. Kind of thing. What was there any division between family time, work time, business? You know? No, really. no, not really. And I, and I think when you know when Shane got married, Claire very quickly realised that our hobby was our business, yeah. and, and and Claire got involved with that as well and came into work with us, and, and she did a very good very good job for us. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of people talk about retirement and I think retirement is stopping doing something you hate. If you love it, you might slow down, you might transition to a new way of working, a new way of interacting. But I'm having retired in 2012, I know, and then got back about nine months later, I will never retire. I will die doing stuff. Now, I can't keep on at the same pace always, but... but it's a different way of doing. What, how did you? When did you reach that age where you thought I can see myself stepping back, and, I, and I'm confident Shane can so, take away? So, I've always um, encouraged everybody to to be um, very upfront in what they're doing, work hard, drive, go forward. But I've always offered them an opportunity, and there became a time where I felt I was restricting Shane's opportunity. And, and, and Shane was put in a, a difficult position one day. He handled it very, very well. And I just thought that the best thing for me to do now is step back, give him a clear run at it. We have the property business, which I kind of kind of run, and that, that Shane is a shareholder in as well. And um, I've just watched him grow and flourish and develop ideas. And, you know, one of the ideas he came to me, I said, I'm not sure that that's, that's the right market for us. I'm not sure, not sure. You know, £1.7 million this year proves him right and me wrong. I don't mind being wrong, you know, but all I'll do is I'll challenge on the basis of is that is that good, is that bad, what if and where. All I can do is offer experience. So I think retirement, Mike, is not the retirement where you go and learn fishing or you go and yeah. do metal detecting. It's nothing like that at all. You know, you've got an email and a phone that's in your hand every day and you've got yeah. emails and you've got messages coming in and everything like that. What you haven't got is the intensity or that seven day awake forcing you out of bed at 6am because you're behind with what you're doing. Which actually can make you a better mentor or support because you're you're not caught in the anxiety, you're not caught in the stress, the pressure uh, and so on. So you can often see more clearly, is that fair? Or? Yeah. But if we're, if, we're, if we're giving people guns at 16, 
in the army and the air force and, 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 and people are going to war for their country. You know, you can't leave it too late to let your family have a run at running the business, particularly if you've given them a good grounding and they've worked hard and they understand what they're doing, let them do it. Unlock your path to success with Success is a System, the podcast that guides you through proven strategies and expert insights. Join us every fortnight as we break down the systems behind success. Subscribe now for your fortnightly dose of inspiration and practical tips. Success is not just a dream, it's a system. Tune in and transform your journey. Visit www.mikegreen.co.uk for more info. Success is a system where dreams meet strategy. If you think about the the, the, the actual kind of separation, I know it's not you've, you've not gone off and done nothing, but you've eased off, you've stepped up kind of thing in this transition. I know for a lot of companies that, the old man, as it were, stays in there too long and it's a pain in the ass, and the kids want them to go, kind of thing. I know because I know you both, have, that hasn't been the case, or I don't feel it's been the case. But how did that conversation come about? Because I know you enjoy your boat, you get away a little bit. Was geography, did geography make it easier if you were going to be away more to kind of let the reins go? Or did you go away so that you wouldn't be? all over the business, which which came first, chicken and eggs? So I, I'm not an employee of this business. So what I decided was that if I was here, I could interfere. And there's one thing I know, you know your own son, you know your own family. Yeah. And there's no way that Shane would have ever been a puppet doing the job that he's doing. So he went in as managing director from day one, mum was a director looking after finance, and then three months later we got COVID. So it was the trickiest of starts, but it was one that was would make a person stronger. And that's and that's exactly what happened. So as soon as I could get away, which was July the 1st, 2020, I left and spent large periods of time away. Um, and did, did you struggle with that? I mean, it's easy to think, I can do this, I can run this, yeah, leave me to it. But then when it happens, it's like, especially then COVID hit and you think, well, oh, fuck. I think that's one of the... the the great things about the relationship though like it's not gone he's there at the end of the phone if I needed anything at a time I was I could pick the phone up and say I need your advice on this or what are we going to do in this scenario and there was calls that we had to make during Covid where I did pick the phone up because all of a sudden we were closing we were closing and we had to close but we were a manufacturer and we had to continue because we were feeding into new builds all over the country so one second we're closed, the next second we're open. Yeah. Um, and it was getting our heads around reading into what the announcements were. Because no one kind of came out and said, oh, you're a kitchen manufacturer, you're allowed to do this, this and this. It was just blanket guidance and you had to kind of read in between the lines. Building social distancing into the exactly. factory. We had so a one-way system, you had to do temperature checks on the way in. All of those kind of things that... <clears throat> Don't get me wrong, I'm sure I'd have muddled my way through, but it's a lot easier to bounce that stuff off someone and kind of yeah. say, how are you How are you reading that? Are we doing the right thing? So, and, and I, I mean, I've been involved in property as well, and I've, I've seen your business grow from uh, buying in cabinets and selling on to other people and fit into building your own cabinets to getting a state-of-the-art factory that you've got here where, in effect, the people are pressing buttons a lot of the time. It, there's, the system's building it, and that's a big investment. Part of the transition, you, you go um, intergenerational. Another part is transitioning from one technology to another. And each is a big investment. It's either an investment in trust as you hand the reins over, or it's an investment in money where 
it might not work how you hoped it would work. How, were you always comfortable to just put the money behind it and take the risk, or did that risk weigh on you? How, was was Shane an influence on that because you knew that you kind of both shared an opinion, or what, that, what happened then? I think you have to have a commitment to give the person the tools that they require to be the success that they want to be. Um, I don't think we've ever gone out and lavishly spent on anything that wasn't obvious that we needed. Mm. You know, machinery gets old, it needs replacing. You know, technology and design that, that comes along. You know, you've seen firsthand the 3D visual system that we yeah, use here yeah. now. You know, th these are things that are necessary um, things. I don't think we've ever flippantly done it. In, t in 2022, um, we decided that we, we could have delivered better if we had more space. We took the unit next door. So we've created space, we've created space that's necessary. Um, but it's interesting you say that though, because lots in all sectors of business, transition, change, uh, evolution, adapt, adaptation is necessary. So many people don't take the necessary step and that's what makes them outdated, left behind, uh, and with a business that can't sustain the next generation. We're, there is loads of businesses that do that, but where they just, they've done what they've always done and they've got the result they've always got, but they don't evolve with what, like the latest technology. We were talking about AI earlier on, but you've got to embrace technology and find ways of making it work within your business. And I always look outside of the kitchen industry at what other sectors are doing. <laughs> retail, hospitality, whatever it is, because there's loads of good ideas out there. Yeah. And I'm always looking, how can I implement that into our business? How's that gonna make a difference to us, make us deliver better, give a better service, a better a product quality, whatever it is, there's loads of ideas. And, and that's an interesting segue for me because one of the biggest changes you made as a business, uh, and it was kind of more in your tenureship than yours, is this transition from retail to trade. And I was conscious when we first started dealing with you buying as trade that you kind of had this almost split loyalty because you're dealing with customers and you're dealing with tradesmen who are buying your kitchens, fitting your kitchens. And I think from talking, that um, I think you'd said to me before that sometimes you'd get a customer that wants your kitchen and then one of the tradesmen offers it even cheaper than you might have offered it at retail. So you had two divisions of the business that were actually competing with each other but it's hard to cut a tail off or let one part of a business go to, cut, to focus. Tell us a bit about that transition. I think if I do the history of it, yeah. the, the history was that Howden's belonged to MFI. So MFI was the company that sold to the retail, right? and then Howden's sold to the trade. All of a sudden the trade is doing better than MFI, so MFI closes and that one goes. L latterly, people like Kitchens Direct and Moban. Moban was the premium brand, Kitchens yeah. Direct was the middle brand but it was all owned by the same person. So we weren't inventing the wheel in the industry, we were repeating something that we felt we could do better by staying in the trade. So at that point, that's when I exited, yeah. and then Shane took PKB Trade as a brand forward. Um, but but and what proportion was retail of the business versus trade at that point of change? 90, 90, 10, yeah, it was 90%. 90% yeah. retail, 10% China. So you're taking on the reins of the business. Your dad's going to leave for months at a time to give you some space, but also uh, because you've stepped up and taken control. And now suddenly you're putting all of your all of your chips on one number as opposed to spreading that bet, as it were. Was that was that always comfortable and obvious, or was it a risk? Did, well, did, it, did you have some fears? Obviously, we started a lot smaller than what we are today. So in reality, nine people. Yeah. 
there, were, there was nine people that were dealing with the trade at that time. So in reality, there's now 36 people that work within the business. We knew that we had to significantly grow that side of the business. Yeah. But I was always confident we could because we've got the best quality products, we're ultra price competitive, and we give a great service. So that, that was the reason why we decided to carry on in the trade and make it so yeah. that we do still deal with end users, we deal with builders, we deal with other retailers. There's a there's a very broad split of what we do. But even so, I see a lot of businesses who might have a core 90 and a tail of 10. Mm -hmm. You had a kind of core, core, uh, core of 10, if you like, for the new business and a tail of 90. And we decided to cut it off. The biggest issue for a lot of businesses this tail isn't the future, or may not maybe a lot of work for a little bit of the profit, but people haven't got the the balls, confidence, whatever you want to call it, to, to cut that off to focus on what they know to be the future. Was it a risk? Was it a fear? Or was it just like inevitable because you studied the the Howden's MFIs and the like? Or how how did you get to I think, that decision? I think the, the the Brexit effect and prolonged effect on big ticket replacement items basically said we couldn't continue. So for that reason, we had to reinvent ourselves and, and start. Also factor into that, you've got 50 to 55 tradespeople, which is a dying breed in the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the potential that all the Europeans who worked here professionally, happily, a large percentage of them are gone. Was, was there a future? And, and, and that you can, you can never know. What I did do was listen to you and Charlie Mullins the other day saying that it's your intention to get 3,000 apprentices because that's what we need to build the houses that we need to build. So perhaps, yeah, yeah. and it was outside of our 100, control. 100,000 apprentices. 100, yeah. Perhaps it's outside of our control. I must listen to that again. <laughs> it's outside of our control, but perhaps it was a, it was a good thing. It was a blessing in disguise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we need up to 100,000 a year because they need a million new apprentices in the next 10 years. I mean, it's a massive gap for our country. Now, that's not all in trade. Some of that's in nursing and some, some of it might be accountancy and that. We're, we're trying to push everyone uh, into university-based qualification and trade as opposed to at work-based, um, which is another, you do another show on altogether. All but um, yeah, I mean, there's opportunity. Clearly, you made the decisions. We, did you ever challenge or stop once, once Shane was MD, did you stop any decision you made or challenge it or no. uh, or just no, it's always it's always been democratic, you know. But when we do when we do things, I mean I come I come back here if I've been away for a sustained period of walking, I meet somebody that I've never met before, you know, about what happened there, what happened there. We, Shane runs the business completely on a on a, on a daily, weekly and monthly basis. And and I catch up with Shane as a father, I catch up with him as a as a son who's running a business that I have a shareholding in. I, I catch up with him on all things, but 100% he runs it, you know. And the good news is we've got some apprentices downstairs. Yeah. So we're doing our bit. <laughs> and we're, we're not going to stop until we get this apprenticeship thing uh, fixed because the government have fucked up on it. And whichever government come in, uh, both of them have said they're committed to it, but they're not doing what they need to do to do it. So it's not. this is not a uh, political thing. It's apolitical. It needs to be done. There's a lot of people who just aren't for university, and university isn't for them. That doesn't knock education. A doctor of education is very important to me. Um, and the things we do connect us to uh, the future family community. And, and I just want to touch on that. It's not about intergenerational transition, but you always got involved in the community a lot, part of which is your Deputy Lord Lieutenancy for Cambridgeshire. 
did you do that kind of networking because of the, the awareness that it was a good way to connect with the community that might transfer to business or was that community always important to you and what are you doing now to kind of connect or try to connect in networking do you see it as the same or have we transitioned to a new world where you don't need so much face to face and it can be done online and social media so two different questions I guess um, I care I'm a person who cares and I, and I famously had a manager who once turned around and said does anybody fucking care you know and and, and that was his passion coming yeah. out in, in an expletive that I wouldn't normally use, but it kind of tells you where we were. But I do care, and I care about the city, I care about the environment, yeah. the place that Shane was going to grow up, that I've grown up in, and I've come to call home over the last 57 years, or 55 years, sorry. So I, I, I'm looking at it from a different angle. I then got involved in charity work, I lost my mum when I was 32, so I started to do charitable golf days. I tend to be quite fun to be around tend to be very positive most of the time I agree. And, and I like to have a, a, a drink or two so when we did the golf day we met an awful lot of people but those people were very kind and helpful in business but of course we were retailers at the time we weren't dealing with the trade so we could we weren't building networks of customers that we would be doing repeat business with it's changed now a lot different now with Shane yeah and I, I'm a massive supporter of the city because obviously I've lived here all my life but I've, I'm not the same person as him. So he has always been kind of the face of the business and will continue to be the face of the business. But my networking is more further afield because obviously we deal with customers more across the country now. Yeah. So in a kitchen world, there's lots of networking that goes on from my perspective, but not yeah. necessarily in, in Peterborough. And, and I, I think that's a really nice point that you know, you can have someone who's a bit life and soul of the party and it's all about the community uh, and you can have a completely different personality but you still grew the business. I mean, the business does more... The, I think the, the first year you handed over it had its best ever year, didn't it? Also, I'm trying to remember... No, 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 no. When we handed over, it was a very small business. It was a very small section of the business. I mean, what he's grown it to now is 50% of what we were before and that's through two years of restricted trading. So, you know, it's but, all moving. But more profitable because you haven't got the uh, fixed costs of, of retail? Is that, is that, that we, we, we operate, we sell at a lower price now right. than what we would have done oh, okay. at trade. Okay. So, yeah, the profits are, are, are probably similar. Um, but the reality of it is, is that, again, goes back to that split of the markets that we deal in. Yeah. And I, I like the point because it's true of several businesses I work with that one generation when they grow their roots are kind of more tend to be more fixed to a geography uh, and certainly i mean peter was fast growing city at the time so you had a lot of growth and then you grew it uh, out from there anyway but i guess being a trade you've got to not only grow it wider but you've got to recognize that local might only be a small part of your business because you're not doing the retail is that fair yeah i think I, th I think we can still continue to grow the trade locally and we are we're employing more designers to deal with more tradespeople and trying to get the word out there that i believe that we are the best kitchen company to deal with but there's also further afield that the kitchen industry is a 10 billion pound industry it's huge um I think it worked out that there's 1.3 million kitchens fitted every year. Yeah. But that's like, we want 0.5% of that, basically. And that's where we're, we're trying to go. What attracted us when we were ordering 102 kitchens for one development or 29 for another to you guys, that you'd think a big business would be more able to fulfil than a family business, albeit a sizable family business. But actually, what 
often family will give is a service and a commitment that a bigger business can't give or won't give. And one of the things that we were attracted to was if, say, a kitchen came and a, a cupboard was damaged, you could manufacture a door within a day, you know, get it to us with that afternoon kind of thing. So the commitment and the ability to flex and be agile and fast, no national company could ever deliver again. No, it's like what you said earlier on about like overheads and people, like you might need to go through 10 people to get that replacement door with a business like ourselves. It's a phone call. And when we off, oh, yeah. Well, I, I can remember James, your James, when we were dealing with a project, I sat next to him at a social function and he just turned around and he said, do you know that Shane is running your business and you are the best supplier that we've got on the site? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, were the, we were the number one contractor on that site. And I suppose it's great, it's great to hear because that's yeah, what we aim yeah. to be. But the other thing was we contacted the local authority and we said to them, if you get a damaged house that's been damaged by a tenant, we can replace a door, a panel. We tried to show them the unique system that we have yeah, here yeah. for recording that. And uh, instead of buying a whole new kitchen, which they have to with the supplier, they could be here buying ours. But there's a resistance, and we, we're going to break that door down, aren't we? Yeah, we'll, con- yeah, we'll continue to work at it, definitely. And, and, and I think that you know a lot of small businesses think because they're not the, the B&Qs or, or, or the, the global conglomerates that they can never compete. But it's finding the ways that you can compete. In fact, you can smash them because they can't be as quick, as fast, as flexible as you can. Yeah. So, so just on the sort of intergenerational bit then, going back, would you have changed anything about the way that it transitioned and you're growing up in the business? Would you have gotten involved in more stuff earlier? Would you uh, have maybe not had those conversations about doing something different? You know, what, what, what would you change, if anything? Well, I think you look at where you are today and go, well, are you happy with where you are? Yes. So but I don't think there's anything I would change from my point of view. No, I, I, I'm. I'm uh, there's decisions that have needed to be made that we've made, some difficult decisions that we've needed to make, but we've always made them together. We've never been fractious in any way in, in our decision process, yeah. and that includes Alison as well. I wouldn't say that we 100% agree on everything first time, every time, but like you said earlier, we he normally gets it. his way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you feel safe in your family environment to have that debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, might even someone. Um, but, it's healthy, though, isn't it? but you're, you're having that conversation to get to the right position yeah. and then you agree on it. Kind yeah. of thing. If, you, if you were talking to any other father, mother about stepping back, about letting the, the, the younger generation take it on, what would be the two or three things you might say are most important to make that easier or, or to feel more comfortable? Easier for you to let go or easier for them to take control? We've always worked as a business with targets, and we've always been target-driven, but we've always recorded our results. And because we knew where we were, where we are, and where we're going, it was very easy to measure Shane's performance to confirm that he was the right person to do it, and he was able to do it. So firstly, I would want to know that whoever's going to take over has the ability to do it. Yeah. And, and what I would say is don't be stubborn, because one day it just comes to you, and you just go, that's, that's it, you know, ready to go, ready to yeah. go. And I know I could potentially have left if it hadn't have been uh, for what was going on. I, I, I was due out in 2004, and 2008 came along, 2015 came along with Brexit. So there was a lot of things that happened during that period. And then Shane had the first thing to deal with, which, which was COVID. So I think all the way along, you, you've got to have the confidence that yeah. you've, got, you've got to be there. You can't just go and disappear you know, when they want that bit of mentoring or when it's not such a good time or whatever it is, 
be available. Just yeah. be available. So, I guess one of the things I took from that as well is obviously the numbers are important. They're important in every business. The 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 tracking is important. The goal setting is important. And with that, am I? Are you sort of saying one of the things you're saying is it's easier to step back if you can look at it from afar and see that it's working without having to be under their feet, as it were. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's share. It's the same as a shareholder in any business. Yeah, you would want to. You'd want to see that. What I'm saying is that I knew Shane was ready to take the business and could take the business forward because of his track record of what yeah. he'd done. Yeah. You know, it was the same as if Shane took his CV into another business. You know. That, that his, he was ready to do what he's now doing uh, and, and I'm delighted that it's working very, very well. And would you uh, say anything to any parents out there that are wondering about you know, handing over to the next generation or any of the next generation who might be struggling to get their parents to have the sort of trust and faith that you, uh, uh, an interaction that you guys have on that equal level? Because I, I do see you and I do know that you have that, but what would you be saying to someone who's struggling with that? Yeah. Personally, I, I I don't think that anyone wants to be pushing their parent out of the business that they created. But at the same time, you've got to make a decision whether you want to continue to work together or whether you want to look at something different. Because I think there would always be a resentment. Like if I'd have come in and just gone one day, right, I want to run the business or I'm going somewhere else. That that would have been. That's a different conversation. That yeah, that that isn't about kind of developing together. Whereas I wasn't expecting, and I didn't know that Ian was going to turn around and say, "I want you to be the managing director, and I'm going to do this." Yeah. So it was just a natural progression. But I think that, like I said earlier, about businesses evolving. It, it, if there's one person that's proactive, trying to take the business forward, and you're Stagnant, for the want of a better word, you've you've got to kind of look at that and kind of go, that's the future. Yeah. I need to take a step back. Yeah, no, I, I, it, it's been a pleasure to see, which is why I wanted to ask you guys to have this conversation with me because I've seen it and I've seen it work and I've seen uh, one of my specialities is transformational transition mapping, going from where we are to where we want to be, seeing it as a map, seeing it as a journey, recognizing that there's different steps to do it. It, it doesn't have to be tomorrow. Yeah. It can it can be planned, but it does need planning. Yeah. Um, but also recognizing that you know you can transition from the MD to let the next generation become the MD. You become a mentor, advisor, chairman, uh, and and become available, but increasingly on an as need if needed basis. Um, do you think your children will ever get involved in the business? No, I don't. Is the honest answer. I but don't. then you didn't think your child would get involved. What, what is it that you think is different now? I think that uh, one of them loves playing the piano, and the other one loves horses. They've not really took in to get. They both like selling, uh, but I'm not too sure they're going to be selling kitchens. Do you see it as quite a male business? Obviously, Ali's been big in it. No, it's really been a huge part of it. You've seen the designers out there, you know, more yeah, female yeah, yeah. designers than male, and you've got lots of females. I mean, I learned many years ago, somebody said that this lady was a dentist, a full handicap at golf, and she got five children. I said, how do you do that? She said, women multitasking. <laughs> I went out and recruited them for years. But they also have to manage people better because they didn't get so, like, aggressive or controlling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's good. Just on what you said there, third generation. I think first generation work closely with the founder. Third generation can sometimes be a difficult period, but it'd be interesting to yeah. see. I'll I, I, twenty years. I think you know. I used to think, yeah, I'm going to work my kids. I'm going to give them this. 
and, and you know, be disappointed if they didn't work hard and if they didn't want to be successful. And then you get to a point where, as you say, the biggest success is if they're happy and you want them to be happy at whatever they're doing. Sometimes that might be about making a bunch of money. Sometimes it might just be doing something they love and don't make money. And, and, and I guess I see that happening. But um, what is lovely is that you two have, have grown the business together, have grown together within the business, uh, and it is a really successful family business that is transitioning in technology through generations uh, and evolving with the needs of the customer along the way. So thanks very much for your time. Thank it's you, been thanks a real pleasure to get your benefit and input. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do like, subscribe, share, come back again and see the next episode. Thanks very much.